Satnam, I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Hmm, Satnam. Ever since conscious awareness began to be considered, to be thought of, the question has always been, where does it reside? Where does consciousness reside? And the yogis throughout ancient up to modern times understand that consciousness is what is called non-local. Consciousness is not residing in this vessel. But this vessel has the ability to access consciousness. When this vessel doesn't access consciousness, which is the case in the unevolved, un, undeveloped uh, lives, because Earth is a one-room schoolhouse and so there are all the different levels of evolution existing on this planet as well as all the other planets that um, are used to incubate and propagate life. And so of the many different levels of awareness, of conscious awareness, the practitioner, the participant, is vibrating at a particular level. It's called a resonance. Now all of the living cosmos, uh, which includes stones, minerals, <coughs> plants, animals, the animals that are insects, and also humans. All of them contain a ability to resonate and access their frequency their assigned frequency. An acorn is assigned the frequency of an oak tree. And therefore, as the acorn is sitting in resonance, it is resonating that frequency of an oak tree. And an oak tree has many acorns, and those acorns have many oak trees, and the oak trees have many acorns, and it goes on and on and on. So in what Carl Jung called the collective unconscious and what the yogis call the universal mind. Consciousness resides in that non-local state 
what resides in your local state is the brain and the memory that either genetic memory from your DNA and the past or experiential memory from your life experiences in this time through this life cycle. And for the majority of humanity, not for the rest of the creatures or the plants or stones or minerals, but for the majority of humanity, you know, almost nine out of 10, 86.7% of humanity is just operating in that memory loop. So it is because those early thousands, tens of thousands of lifetimes in the human form are to work out all of that memory loop so that the life can open up to the collective unconscious or the universal mind. And then through that collective unconscious and the universal mind, you access the new information. And new information is the information that solves old problems. Old information is what creates old problems, standard problems. Standard problems on the world today is very violence-oriented. Um, and that's because when we don't get our way, we become extremely frustrated, and the height of frustration is anger, and the demonstration of anger is violence. You know, a lot of these um, uh, violent moments throughout the world, all across the world, are nationalistic, which is tribalistic. And the reason for tribalism and nationalism is that I don't recognize you if you don't look exactly like me. So men don't recognize women. And the conditions of skin color and language and where were you born, all of these considerations become very important, though they're not. And tribalism is a way of graduating from individualism. Individualism is just me. Tribalism is just us. Nationalism is a little larger than tribalism, but nationalism is becoming very tribal because as we begin to migrate more and more in the world because of transportation and because of catastrophic conditions in certain parts of the world, as different groups begin to migrate into what is considered other groups' territory, which is a complete illusion that you actually own anything. Everything is rented, even your physical body. That we begin to become proprietary. And proprietary nature and tribalism and individualism is very much a world of undeveloped consciousness. And so it's natural. It's not that we're going to get everybody, you know, it is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, and everybody is all so happy. 
No. That is not the way it's going to happen at all. There are going to be a few people, hopefully you, who step up over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years and say, I am going to produce some supervision here on earth because it's not only a one-room schoolhouse, it's kind of a one-room daycare center. And that is because this planet is what's known as a base planet. And a base planet is what evolves base life up into advanced life. And the reason that the population has been exploding is that a base planet is very vulnerable to the base nature of life. And the base nature of life is very protectionistic, very individualistic, and very tribalistic. And so what ends up happening, what ends up happening on these base planets is they fail. Base planets tend to fail. And when your neighbor's house fails, you take them in. And so neighboring systems have failed, particularly over the last 50 to 60 years. And that's given all of these soul bodies a need for a different place to evolve in, to incarnate in. And so planet Earth has been the good Samaritan hmm? and said, I'll take you on. I'll take on this, this um, additional burden. And we went from 1950. There were two and a half billion people. And that means that two and a half billion people had evolved over billions of years, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, thousands of years, hundreds of years, that people had evolved. And suddenly in the last 50 years, we added five billion people. So in 1950, we had two and a half billion, and today we have seven and a half billion. And it's adding tremendously every single day. And so what's happening here is that when you have a small classroom, you can sometimes get away with maybe a parent staying, you know. But when you have a very large school, like planet Earth, you need some teachers. You need some supervisors. You need some principals. You need some values. You need some organization. Are you kidding me? We have none of the above. Educational systems are testing factories, trying to weed out and to create a hierarchical order between who is of value and who isn't. The person that is able to take that test is simply able to take that test. The people that aren't able to take those tests are simply not able to take those tests. It's not about the student, it's about the limitations of the test. 
And the placing of so much importance on those tests is not giving us any indication of who is brilliant and who isn't, because everyone is actually brilliant in their own unique way. So education shouldn't be testing to try to create a hierarchy. Education should be teaching to create an equality. So that when people come out of the educational process, everyone feels equal. Not only equal to each other, but equal to the task of life. Equal to the challenges that will arise. Equal to the moments that are presented. <clears throat> the only way that we, as those who take Tuesday morning off to come have kundalini yoga class, right? <clears throat> the only way that we can actually get into that category is through accessing that collective unconscious, that universal mind. Which means that just like the acorn, wow, I'm tying some things together, huh? <laughs> there is a God. So just like the acorn is in resonance with the oak concept, the human seed needs to be in resonance with that incredible consciousness of what is truly human. What is it to have light in the mind. And so what we do in this class is we enable ourselves to get our body in alignment, to get the activities of our neural system, of the nervous system and the neurology in resonance so that we get the kundalini energy rising through the spine, activating all of the centers and then at the apex of that, we have that head brain and the heart brain and the gut brain, the masaya, all being in synchronicity with that universal mind. And all of a sudden, we begin to receive guidance. We begin, not necessarily, but it could be in the form of messages. But oftentimes, it's just in the form of inclinations you are inclined. When something is inclined, it rolls because of gravity. It rolls in the direction of the inclination, of the incline. And so your life tends to, if you tune into that universal mind, your life tends to be inclined towards what that universal mind has to communicate. And the communication of the universal mind if you're a human, is how can you be more light-filled, more hue? If you're an oak, how can you be more prosperous as an oak? If you're a dog, how can you be more prosperous? If you're a possum, how can you be more possum-like? How can you be an awesome possum? <laughs> I, have, I heard that from my grandchildren. I've been waiting for weeks <laughs> to fit that into a lecture. So, we are awesome possums. 
what is happening and this yellow portion here that surrounds you in your lifetime, in every one of your lifetimes, is what is called your guidance, but it is really just the resonance of the universal mind. And you access this guidance, this resonance of the universal mind, and then you personalize it. You say that it's Jesus. You say that it's Guru Ramdas. You say that it's Durga or Saraswati or Mother Teresa or Aunt Florentine. I was trying to think of one of my aunts from way back there. She went by Flora for short. These personalizations are just that which makes it more relatable for you. Naming it Jesus and, and you being Christian and you're surrounded by Christians, it becomes more relatable. And you share the stories of Jesus. You're a Kundalini yoga and you relate to Guru Ramdas and you're surrounded by Kundalini yogis and you speak about Guru Ramdas and the wonders and the miracles of Guru Ramdas. You're an indigenous person and you have plant-based medicine and you relate to that plant and you relate to the spirit of that plant. You're inclined towards jewelry and you relate to the nature of the beads and the minerals in your jewelry. And there's one that they call the nine planets. And you go, oh, that one's very special. And that makes it very special for you. But if you wear the nine planets and you think that it's ridiculous and stupid, it is ridiculous and stupid for you. And so personalizing, whether it's minerals or plants or power animals, how about you? Do you have a bear in your life? Do you have an elephant? Do you have a jaguar? Do you have a coyote? Do you have a chihuahua? <laughs> Do you have an awesome possum? <laughs> Do you have an animal, a power group of animals in your life that also help you because Every one of those animal incarnations has a particular lifestyle, has a particular message. What is the message of the canine world? Begins with an L. Loyalty. Loyalty. What is the nature, what is the message of the feline world? Begins with I. What is it? Independence. You know, so have one of each. You know, K-line. K-line and feline. <laughs> Canine and feline, right? And then, okay, now you've got your loyalty and your independence. What a great combination, huh? Now you want to get something done, so you want to have some straight line movement. That's the equine world. That's the world of horses. 
And then you want to have a super, super, super crazy creative brain. That's the life of the monkey. It's called the monkey mind. Hmm? So you get all of this and you relate to it. And as you, re as you relate to it, you create a resonance so that it can relate to you. And you create a connection. And connections are all generated through the gut brain. And in the gut, you literally derive nourishment out of everything. You'll derive nourishment out of an idea. We're working on a big project and we're going to work on it this afternoon, you know, filming in and recording for it. And so this morning, as part of my morning routine, I sat for about 20 minutes and just went into the dream state where you're letting the brain not be active as intellect, but you're letting the brain go into that theta uh, frequency so that you're almost falling asleep. But you ride, you know how you feel when you're falling and then you're not, and then you're falling, and then you're not as you're going into sleep. You ride that wave. And you very consciously ride that wave. And in riding that wave, you've set an intention going into that process. And the intention was, guide me through this project. And the people you are to meet, you shall meet. The Buddha's prayer. The places you are to go, you shall go. And the things that you are to say shall form on your lips as you speak. And then what's happening in your life is that you may have to take care of busy work in the in-between, but your overall goal and your overall purpose is what is linked in to your theta state, into that dream state, into that meditative mind. And as you're doing all of the things, you're remaining cognizant, you're remaining conscious of that connection between you and your purpose. And the purpose of us, and it's, you know, it's going to take you five to ten years to agree with what I'm going to say right now, but the purpose of us is that you are the prophets on the planet. You are the messiahs on the planet. And you will say in 10 years, dang, Guru Singh told me in that 10 years ago. Well, it's not because I'm so great. It's just because there are some of us that were told that 20 years ago, 40 years ago. One of the things that Yogi Bhajan said to me was the distance between your ignorance and your enlightenment is the length of your spine. When are you going to wake it up? And you think, well, I've got some work to do to wake it up, and therefore you have some work to do to wake it up. But if you could not only intellectually, but intelligently and intuitively and cellularly in your visceral physical truly believe that I am that now, then you would be that now. That is 
how powerful this non-local consciousness is and your only ability is to become resonant with it so that it becomes a resident of you. It takes residence in you. A really good thing to con connect with are those who have passed, particularly in that moment of their passing. So you go and you have something or someone, you have a great-grandparent or you have a grandparent or you have someone who has passed and you go into that moment of their passing. In that moment of passing, for each and every one of us, we're faced with our perfection. We're faced with that enlightenment that was right there all along, always with us, all the time. That universality of who we were was always with us all the time and the only thing that held us from actively being it was our doubt, our sense of limitation. But that sense of limitation isn't just an intellectual thought process. So when somebody tells you it's all in your mind, you can tell them whatever you want. <laughs> but in fact, it's all over the place. So the idea that you have the ability to move in that direction is what repetition will give you. It's like practicing. You practice, you practice a chord progression. When you first are playing the... Turn off the loop. When you're first playing a guitar, you know, most everybody starts out, here's an E chord. The only reason that you struggle is because you feel that you're supposed to. Most remarkable musicians begin very early in life. The lead guitarist for Rage Against the Machine, I'm dropping his name, began playing guitar in high school, very late. But that guitar player is probably the most unorthodox, innovative, and advanced guitar player on the planet. He plays the guitar like nobody would ever say, that's how you play a guitar. Because he didn't learn how you're supposed to play it. So he just played it how he felt like playing it. That's how I want to encourage you to become the prophet that you are. Take inspiration from other prophets, from Jesus, from Guru Ramdas, from the Buddha, from Zoroaster, from whoever you want to, from Lakshmi, from Saraswati. But definitely play an E.
however you want to. And play every chord of your life however you want to. And when somebody says, that's not how it's done, say, it is now. <laughs> because you are unique. And the way you are to do anything is absolutely unique. Traditions are important, but they're not the total picture. Traditions can build foundations, so you take from traditions what is good for your foundation. And you leave aside from traditions what does not serve your foundation. If you have an idea of how you want to build the 50th floor of your cathedral known as you, with the domed roof and the spire of your access to the universal mind, which is the reason that the Masons were those who designed those cathedrals. It's all about how do we access that infinite information. But if you have an idea of how you want to build that 50th, let's say, floor way up there, then you have to know what part of tradition do I need in my foundation? I took, I took um, um, how would I say it? I took the, uh, a lead from Yogi Bhajan when we were walking down the streets in Beverly Hills and it was Christmas time and I've told this story over and over and people passing us said, I don't think they believe in Christmas. And Yogi Bhajan spun around and he said, yes, we do. We celebrate any chance we get. And they said, but do you believe in Jesus? And he said, believe in Jesus, I know the man. <laughs> and he wasn't stretching any kind of story because he was raised in a Catholic school. In, Pakistan, in what's now Pakistan, what was then all of India, Greater India. Because that was the only school that was in the particular area that he was growing up in. So he had a first-hand relationship with the life of Jesus and then he altered it to form his own intuitive relationship with the life of Jesus because everybody has the right to create their own relationship. He has a relationship with the Buddha, the relationship with Guru Ramdas, and I took that as being, I should gain from all the traditions. And my first teacher, Paramahansa Yogananda, was all about a church of all religions because he knew coming to America, which was a Judeo-Christian country, that if he didn't include Judaism and Christianity in his teachings, that he wouldn't be accepted because it was very nationalistic, it was very tribalistic in, in its religious outlook. So when you're talking to them and they ask you, okay, what's the difference between kundalini yoga and what, and what I do? And I want you to say absolutely maybe a few things, but the similarities far outweigh the differences. And now you're into a con communication not about what's different between you, but what's the same. And that's what we must also do about the people of the world that are completely destroying the world, that are in denial of the fact that the world is even being destroyed. Don't be 
angrily critical of them, don't ask the stupidest question on earth, which is, don't they know? The answer to that is no, they don't know. And for good reason. Does a three-year-old know calculus? Why don't they know calculus? Because they haven't got the prerequisites to calculus down yet. You can't jump into calculus. You've got to go through Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trigonometry. You've got to go through all kinds of good things to get to calculus. Correct? And then you will understand some of the traditions of the other prerequisite forms. You, through your incarnations, have gone through all of the prerequisites to being a Messiah, to being a prophet, to being a master. You have gone through all of the prerequisites. Your task in this lifetime is to remember, to recognize, to realize again and again. I've been there, done that. Say it. I've been there, done that. I got this. Say it. I've been there, done that. I got this. And you say that to yourself over and over and over. And when you first say that to yourself, your, your other self, your reflective self is going, BS, BS, BS. I got this. I doubt that. I've been there, done that. How do you know that? You know, the reflective self is being persnickety. Sanskrit word, right? And in that reflective, oppositional way, that contrarian way, it's not wrong. It's maybe wrong factually, but actually it has reason. Because when it doubts you, when your reflective side doubts you, it either shuts you down or spurs you on. That's the choice that you have to make. When the reflective side of life doubts you, is contrary to your claim, does it shut you down or spur you on? Because that's your free will. That's your nature as a human being with free will. You can have a choice. Yogi Bhajan, if somebody would tell him that he was full of nonsense, he would just say, thank you for reminding me. And then he would use that as fuel. This is what you have to do. Because in today's world particularly, there is so much contrary opinion. In today's world particularly, there is so much animosity attached to those contrary opinions that they come on really strong. And you have to have a deflective capacity. 
you have to have the deflective capacity to deflect all of those oppositional arrows. And that's why one of the postures that we'll be doing today is literally the movement. It's called the dragon's wings because the dragon's wings had those scales on them and they were used to deflect the arrows of time. Time has waves and arrows. The waves that you ride and the arrows that oppose the direction that you're riding in. And both are completely natural. And in your pre-carnate existence, previous to your being born, you assign certain people to meet you at certain points in your life. And you assign them, you said, okay, you're going to meet me when I'm 20, or you're going to meet me when I'm 32, and you're going to be you're going to bring me in to your joy and then you're going to betray me. Got it? And they say, okay, I don't like it, but I'll do it because I love you. Judas. It's the Judas routine. And if you read the deep history, uh, the book of the Urantia has a lot of the deep history you will know that Judas was not a, um, an anti-Christ. Judas was Jesus' most devoted. So he said, look it, I'm, you, we're going to set this up. We're going to set this whole thing up and we're going to orchestrate it and we're going to get out of it and everybody will think that I died, but I didn't, and then they'll claim that I, you know, the story will be the story, but we're going to do this. Okay, Judas, I'm counting on you. Because your name in that particular lifetime is going to be discredited forever. And so what you have to understand is those people who treat you poorly are just doing their assignment. And that's one of the things that we must acknowledge. When someone treats us poorly, we must in both internally and to a degree externally, if it's appropriate. I don't mean if somebody, you know, punches you in the nose, you get up and say, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> but definitely, there are boundaries and limits, but understand that that's how these events of life take place. And so the key points of today's world as viewed through this class are that the frequencies of your life are surrounding you, just like the frequencies of an acorn's life are surrounding it. And as they surround you, it will feel like you get, if you tune in with resonance, it will feel like everything just comes out of the blue, because the blue is the blue ether. And that your guidance, when you tune in, and when you don't take offense to the offensive, 
what will happen is that you tune in and you allow yourself to have that connection, the gut brain, that connection, circulation, that heart brain, the understanding, the head brain, connection, circulation, understanding. And that becomes the Masaya, that you are that prophet able to understand each circumstance for how it fits into that life through time, knowing all along that you are guided. And you can personalize that guidance or not. It's up to you. Does it make sense? Hmm. Thank you for listening. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more. All the classes can be found now on gurusing.teachable.com. There is going to be long-form classes available there, 30-minute long yoga classes with Kriya. There's also what is called a Kundalini Recharge. It's a brief lecture about something like depression or gratitude or achievement or partnering or success. And it'll be a lecture with a pranayama, a breathing exercise, and a single asana that you can just jump into during the day. And then it'll round out with an affirmation or meditation. And these will be like 11 minutes. And then there are also going to be audio files, which are guided 11-minute meditations, which you can listen to. And that's all within gurusing.com. Satnam.